Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. Every week, we get a chance to share the love of Jesus through music, art, and biblical teaching, and we're so glad that you're here to be a part of it. Let's get started. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Jeff. I am one of the leaders here. Um, There is one thing I want to tell you by way of announcements that we weren't able to get filmed this week, so you didn't get to see it up there. But um, uh, we found out last week that parking had become an issue for us. Has anybody experienced the parking craziness that was last week? Um, That might remedy itself as we move to two services instead of three. But in, in lieu of that, we went ahead and asked ADM if we could use the second and third and fourth uh, decks on the parking garage across the street, and they have said yes to that. Is that wonderful? So, yeah. So if you're if you're coming here and um, and you want to park in the parking uh, deck, you can go through the gate. They're going to have the gate open for us. I think around 7 a.m. Um, then they're going to close it at 1 p.m. So hear me when I say this: If you go to lunch with a friend, if you have a friend, right, and go to lunch with them, make sure you take your car with you. Because if you come back, you won't be able to hit up the parking garage decks to get to your car because they have a gate. You'll need an ADM pass to get it out. So anyway, is that okay? We good there? All right. Yay. Okay. Speaking of parking, I want to share a quick story just by way of getting started here. Um, I, if you know me, I'm not a big fan of Walmart. It's not Walmart per se. It's just I'm a highly... Um, I'm highly introverted as a person. Plus, I think the people there are crazy. I'm just throwing it out there. So um, I go to Walmart maybe once or twice a year, legit. I, I shop anywhere but Walmart. If, but I, yesterday, I thought, I'll just run in there to get one thing. I needed to get one thing, three gallons of milk. Don't ask. I had to get three gallons of milk. And so I, I park my car. I go in to get the gallons of milk. I don't even get a cart. right? I just have to get one thing. And I'm, I self-check out. I walk out into the parking a lot that's crowded. And I cannot find my car. Like I had, I, I literally was thinking about something else. I have no idea. I, I walked up and down the aisles of where I thought my car was and seriously could not find it. It got to the place where the milk was getting so heavy. I went to the cart corral and got a cart and then just pushed it around the parking lot for some time, right? As my face begins to flush with, I'm sure, frustration and embarrassment, I began to consider some things. Maybe I didn't drive my car here. Maybe I, because I'm looking for my car, the white car, right? Maybe I drove my wife's car or my daughter's car. I have no idea. So I go through that in my mind thinking maybe that happened, but that wasn't what happened. So the only thing that is a possible conclusion to this thing, the result is my car got stolen. I was 100% my car got stolen as I walk up and down this parking lot. So all that to say, I keep walking for another five or six minutes. It felt like an eternity. I find my car exactly where I left it, <laughs> right by the front door. You know what I mean? I was like nowhere close, nowhere close. But I found it. But in all of that, I was just, I was just mindful of this fact. It's so interesting, the things that our brains remember and some of the things that we don't remember, right? I I can't remember the things I should and I remember things I should not. I could tell you with vivid detail exactly how my very first girlfriend broke up with me in the fourth grade. Right? It was, it was morning recess, and my friend and neighbor, Andrea, came to me and said, hey, Dawn is going to break up with you today. 
I'm like, whatever, I have no idea what that means, but okay. So, and I was just uh, squeaking down the top slide, the big slide, my feet no sooner than hit the pavement of the, of the playground, and Dawn was standing right there, and she says, I'm breaking up with you. I know. <laughs> I know. I can't remember what I had for lunch four days ago or the clothes I wore last week, but I can also remember in great detail in seventh grade when I was embarrassed beyond embarrassment. This same friend, Andrea, was sitting in front of me in pre-algebra class. Maybe this is the common denominator here. <laughs> she was sitting in front of me. I was sitting in the second row from the back, close to the window on the north side of the building. I remember it, the sun was out. I remember this. And she turns around to ask me a question about the assignment and she looks at my fingernails and starts laughing at me. I don't know why exactly, <laughs> but I remember her laughing at how I cut my fingernails. Even now, I'm kind of nervous. I want to put them in my pocket. <laughs> Like I can't, it's just so crazy the things that we remember, but, but the things that we forget is even more so. Here, here's what I believe about us as people. That's just part of the human condition. That's just who we are as people. We constantly forget things we should remember and remember things we should probably forget. How many can recite every Snoop Dogg lyric from the 90s, right? If you remember, yeah, you're like, that's stuff we should forget. We don't need those things, but we need other things. Like when we try to memorize scripture, we try to struggle with that. We work our way through all of those things. But it's just part of who we are. And I think God knows this. Oftentimes, the reality is this, is sometimes we forget God. And I don't mean that we forget about him personally. We still somehow believe in him. But I just mean that sometimes we forget the things that God has done for us. That we forget his mighty, strong hand. How he saved us in one situation. How he led us through another difficult situation. How when we needed assistance or help, God was ever-present and mindful of us and leaned in to give us some help. It's interesting how our mind will oftentimes create these memories for us that we take these snapshots so we can remember certain things. And since God knows that about us, that we sometimes need help remembering, he oftentimes will ask his people to build these um, monuments of reminders for him. All the Bible is filled with these things, especially in the Old, Tis Old Testament. Oftentimes, God will ask his people to do something specific, to build something, to build an altar, to do something, so that they'll remember the great thing that God had done for them. And today's story that we're going to read in Joshua chapter 4 is one of those occasions where God asks his people to build a monument to, rem to remember what he has done for them. And so we're going to be reading in Joshua chapter 4 as we continue our study through the book. I want to read through the whole thing in its entirety, and then we'll pick a few things off, or out of it rather, to try to learn something uh, from God. So um, if you would turn your attention to the Bible, maybe, or you can follow along on the words here on the screen, I'll start here in verse 1 of chapter 4. Now when all of the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people from each tribe a man, and command them, saying this, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan and from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly and bring them over with you and then lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. So then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, now pass on the ark, before the ark rather of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel. And in verse six, that this may be a sign among you. And so when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And when it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones, he said, shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever, a reminder of what God had done in this moment. 
Verse 8, it says, And then the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded. They took up the twelve stones out of the Jordan, according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord had told Joshua. And then they carried them over to the place where they lodged, and they laid them down there. And so Joshua then set up these twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day, which is, I don't know, we'll just... Let me just tell you, that's a perfect reminder that we're reading the Bible in context. The people that were reading this at the time would probably have been able to find those stones. Hear me, you probably will not. (laughs) I'm sure somebody's stolen them by now. (laughs) Okay, so anyways, moving on. So uh, it says, for the priests bearing the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded. the The people passed over in haste. Verse 11. Then it says, when all the people had finished passing over, the ark of the Lord and the priests passed over before the people, and the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over before the people of Israel, as Moses had told him. About 40,000 men ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. And it says, on that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him, just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. And then it says, the Lord said to Joshua, now command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the river. So Joshua told the priests, come up out of the Jordan. And when the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up out of the midst of the Jordan and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up onto dry ground, the waters of the Jordan River returned to the place of overflowing its banks as before. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. This tells us when this happened. And they camped at a place called Gilgal. It tells us where it was, just east of Jericho. And those 12 stones, which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up there in Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. This is where Israel passed over the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. And as the Lord your God did the Red Sea when he dried it up for them a while back when they passed over. Verse 24, so that all the peoples of the earth may know this, that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Um, I wanted to read that thing in its entirety just so we catch the the context of the story, the narrative. Um, Do you see the picture of the priests gathering, or rather the men gathering the stones to set up as a memorial just as a reminder? I think there's something for us to understand in that. So um, I'm gonna pray for us. I'm gonna ask God to come and be a part of our meeting today. Um, How many people would just, by a show of hands, um, would believe with me that God is already here? Okay, I I agree with you. Um, I was um, back here worshiping while we were all singing earlier, and as the words are coming out of my mouth, um, I did not very much feel like I was singing to a God who was far away, but I felt like I was singing to a God who was standing next to me. And I don't, I don't know about you, but that, that's how I picture who God is. That's how the, the Bible informs us of who God is, that, that the presence of his Holy Spirit is available to us at all times. And when we gather together in his name, he likes to join us in that. And so he's here. And if the Holy Spirit is here, then let's pray to him and ask him to open our eyes and our ears that we might learn something from this story. Again, we're not just history students. We definitely want to know what has happened in history, in antiquity. But we want to be people who are learning about God, learning about ourselves with God so that he could lead us in our lives. So let's bow our heads, shall we? Lord, thank you for our time together. God, we ask that you just bless us. 
We thank you for this day. We thank you for everything that's taken place. Thank you for parking, yay. Thank you for all of that. Um, God, would you use the scriptures in the Bible here to teach us and to uh, train us into something that you want us to understand? Lord, we humble ourselves before you. We ask of these things in Jesus' name that you would come and you would allow us to learn from you today. We are people desperate for, for you and desperate for changed lives, Lord. We worship you, we thank you, we give glory and honor to you, and we say these things in Jesus' name, amen? I draw your attention to the first verse of chapter four. In fact, I draw your attention to the first 10 words of that verse, and it says this. It says, when all of the nation had, passed, had finished passing over the Jordan. So Joshua starts, or the beginning of the story starts with those words. And I want you to hear me. We can't read those too quickly. We can't just read that sentence and move on because that sentence inside of it is packed centuries of promise. In that sentence, it's not just that they, the nation had finished crossing over the Jordan River as it had been dried up, which was a miracle unto itself, but it was, there was something else in that. For 40 years prior to that, the people of God had wandered in the wilderness, wondering if they would ever make it into the promised land. In, in, the, in those 10 words is hidden um, four, 400 years of slavery in Egypt as God's people were held captive in, a, in a, another nation far away from the promised land. And generations before that, as God made the promise to Abraham, inside those 10 words is the faithfulness and strength of God. Inside of those words is the proof that God, when he makes promises, he fulfills them and leads his people over. But you and I, we read them so quickly we don't pause to consider what actually is taking place. We don't pause to consider what God is actually doing. God's people have finally made it into the promised land. And you must imagine their excitement. This is the land that uh, they had been told is flowing with milk and honey. I don't know what that means exactly, but it sounds kind of awesome, especially if you're a nomadic people who've been living off of bread from heaven and water from rocks. You couldn't wait to get to a place where there's milk and honey, yes? You couldn't wait, and you can almost picture them in the starting blocks on this side of the Jordan River, just waiting for Joshua to say, go and pick your land, because God is gonna move the people that are there away, and you're going to move into their houses. Yay, you don't even have to get a mortgage or anything you just move in and you don't have to like plant gardens and you can go reap the harvest out of the, the the gardens and all kinds of things you can go to their fishing holes and you can fish and you can imagine the excitement of God's people wanting to go and before they leave Joshua says not so fast before they go he says I need you to pause and I want you to do something I want you to go back and they're like, go back? <laughs> yeah, now go back into the dry riverbed, right, before the waters come back in and where the ark was, where the, where the symbol of God's presence and power was, I want you to gather some large stones and bring them out because I want to do something with them. It made me think of this. How often does God call us to go back into our past to remind ourselves of things that God has done for us. Wouldn't, wouldn't we be better off to go back and pull up some old things from our past, scrape the mud off and hold it up high and go, look what God did for me a long time ago. For those of you that know me know that I don't wear a wedding ring. I have many reasons why I won't bore you with them. I am married, just so you know. So ladies, just so. <laughs> slow down. <laughs> No, I am married. I'm happily married. I've been married for 24 years. I love my wife dearly. 
And I decided to take my wedding ring off a number of years ago because I was ruining it. It, was, had, it had diamonds in it, and I kept getting it messed up. One of the diamonds fell out, and I just, so I took it off, and I put it in a jewelry box next to her, um, on her nightstand, um, I bet 15 years ago. Yesterday, as I was studying, remembering the things in my past that God has done for me, the Lord quickened my heart to go upstairs and pull my wedding ring out. And I'm like, is it going to fit again, Lord? Is this what I'm thinking? Is a miracle going to take place? <laughs> is, is my ring from my 20s gonna fit on this chubby old finger now? It didn't, it didn't. But as I pulled it out, I was reminded that um, 24 years ago, I made covenant vows with my wife, um, but it was more than just that. The Lord reminded me, it was Stacy who led me to the Lord. God used my um, sweet, good-looking girlfriend to take me to church, to lead me to where Jesus was, to bring me into a family that's been an extension to my family with my in-laws and all that stuff. It's been wonderful to me. God has done some amazing things in my life, and I missed it because I don't go back and look at those things often enough. So I carried around my wedding ring yesterday for a while. My wife's out of town. This is gonna come back to her as a weird story. But for the whole day, I tried, I tried to slide it onto my finger and never could make it. But while I'm doing that, I'm reminded of what God has done. That even when I wasn't looking for him, God came and found me. Even when I thought I had no need of him, God came and rescued me from myself. He brought me into a place of newness of life that I never thought I could ever experience, and I wasn't even looking for it. God does that for you. He does that for me. He does that for all of us. All he's asking is sometimes we just take a moment to build these monuments of memories, if you will, to commemorate these things. And these 12 stones are going to be that. And they're going to be that not just for you, but for a generation behind you. Look what it says here in verse six. He says, this is gonna be a sign among you that when your children ask in the time to come, God who knows all things knows what's going to happen in the future. And there's gonna be a day when the children, your children or grandchildren are gonna ask, what do these rocks mean here on the street? What's up with this pile of stones? that you guys come out to every now and again and talk about things that happened a long time ago. What's going on with all of these rocks? I love how he says, what do these stones mean to you? As if it's not just something that God is doing for the nation as a people group, but he's doing something unique and individual for each of us. What do these stones mean to you, they would ask. And you'll tell them the story that I never thought we would make it into the promised land. I never thought this would happen. And when I saw those priests pick up that ark and begin to march in front of me, my heart stopped. When I saw God's like, power stop the river from flowing as God caused us to stay about a half a mile away to witness this miracle that took place, when I saw that, I've never felt more excitement in all of my life. What do these rocks mean to me? I'll tell you what they mean to me. They mean everything to me. And when your children ask, you can tell them. You can tell them the mighty miracles that God had performed Know this, the ultimate role of a parent is not just to clothe and feed our children and to teach them like reading and writing and arithmetic and all those things, but it's also to lead them into the moral and spiritual compass and the, the faculties that we need them to understand as well. God is asking parents to teach children what, what God looks like. Would you agree with that? It is the role of parents to do that. And, and parents oftentimes use other people to help them do so. I'm a parent that uses a public school system to help educate my children, right? I think they could teach them the good arithmetic and the good English and all of that and teach them Spanish. I can't teach them Spanish. So I use them to help with that. 
Some people homeschool, and even in homeschooling, they oftentimes will use other homeschool groups to help, um, help uh, shoulder some of the load to, to teach some of their children. All this is taking place, and here's the one that we see every week. The church is oftentimes used by parents to teach their children spiritual things. How many people drop your kids off in the kids' department downstairs, right? And they come home with these crazy pictures they've colored of Joshua or whatever else that's happening. Yeah, we love that responsibility that you guys give us to teach your children, but know this, primarily, it's not our responsibility. We love that we get to do that with you, but it is not just our role. Now, I don't have much time, but I need to say this, if I could, just for a moment. As we've been seeing some growth in this room, last week we had probably record attendance. I think that's everybody just coming to be nosy. What's this place look like, right? right? But, but we know we're gonna settle back into our norm, but I think our attendance is going to grow. I want you to hear me. Every adult that comes into this room can typically bring in tow one, two, or three children with them. So where we're experiencing growth up here and we have more room for everybody, I want you to know the children's department downstairs is losing their minds, right? We, our children's department last week doubled in size. Yes. Now let me tell you what didn't double in size. The volunteers. <laughs> yes, the volunteers. So this is a real thing. I'm pushing for volunteers. I don't mean to take away from the sermon, but know this. Um, I talked to Tiffany Daniel. She's our children's and families director, right? She asked, yes, she's a stud. I'm just saying she's amazing. That sounded weird. She's amazing. <laughs> Is Colby in the room? That sounded weird. <laughs> Her husband. Uh, anyway, she's amazing. And she asked me, she's like, Jeff, we desperately need volunteers. So let me just tell you this. If we don't have enough volunteers in the kids department, I blame me first. I blame me. I must not be doing my job of, of telling you guys the need that's there. I don't, I, maybe I don't do my job of telling you guys, we're not asking you to teach Sunday school class. We're asking you to sit down with kids and color pages. We're asking you to be a presence in the room if they needed some more adults there. That's what we're asking of you. And maybe you don't know there's opportunities to serve there. Hear me, there's, there's wonderful opportunities to serve there. Listen, my wife and I, I don't mean to shame anyone, but I want you to hear me when I say this. We have never attended a church where we had children going there that we did not serve in the children's program. I'll just leave that there, right there. <laughs> Get involved, man. It's so fun. The kids are a blast. Um, anyways, so these are going to be out in the gallery on your way out. You can pick one of these up and you can um, sign up and they'll get a hold of you. What, you can check the things that you feel interested in. We're doing worship, live worship downstairs for our children now. Is that amazing? They're going to have a band and everything. I mean, it's, it, we're, they're gonna start worshiping God the same way that we worship up here so that when they, when they transition to, to big church, if you will, whatever you wanna call this, it'll be very familiar to them. Our, I, our hope and desire is that they are taught the same Jesus that we're teaching here, just in a way that they understand it. So anyways, but we need help to do that. So on your way out in the gallery, you can pick one of these up, fill it out, and put it in a giving box, and you could really be a part of the family here as we do this. So anyways, all that to say, God had knew the future and he understood what was going to take place, that one day the children would come and ask spiritual questions and they would need answers. And so he says, I want you to put these stones together as a reminder of that. I want you to commemorate what actually took place so that the, everyone would understand. And these stones will be a memorial for that to take place. So you'll have this opportunity to tell them. But there are some things that we need to understand that God is trying to teach us in all of this. Number one is this, is that we need to remember the temporal nature of, of our lives, meaning this, we need to understand that we do not live forever. Right? You're not always going to be as young and good looking as you are now, some of you. 
right? At some point, you're going to grow old like, like most everyone else, and eventually you're going to breathe your last and die. And here's the thing, we cannot, we cannot be people who take the stories and the testimonies of what God has done in our lives, we cannot take them with us and return them back to dust from which we came. We have to be people who share those things. So these 12 stones as a memorial are reminders to us that we are not going to be here forever. We're not going to live forever. There is going to be a generation and a generation and a generation behind us who desperately needs to hear the truth of God. Would you agree? Yes, that's what we want. So we're building something not just for ourselves, but for other people. This temporal nature of our lives is real to us. And know this, there's a temporal nature of the leaders that we follow. That's another thing we need to understand in this um, memorial here. Um, Leaders will come and go, but God remains, yes? They had fixed all of their dreams and desires with Moses, and Moses had done wonderful things. If you know the story, he threw his staff out onto the ground. It turned into a snake. He parted the Red Sea. He brought water from a rock. He brought down tablets from a mountain from God himself. He did amazing things, and and the God's people began to look at Moses even more so than God himself. And when Moses died, we've already talked about this, they were nervous, they didn't know what to do next. So God commissions another leader, Joshua, and now Joshua is their leader. But over time, Joshua is going to pass away. Hear me, one day I'll no longer be the pastor of this church. And are we building something that's going to live beyond me? Are we building something that's going to live beyond this band? Are we building something that's going to live beyond all of us? We need to understand, God is going to replace me. He's going to replace you. He's going to do all those things. But he will always be the same. And we set up these memorials so that people understand that. We testify to the goodness of who God is so everyone behind us understands that it's him and not us because the proclivity of us is sometimes to look at the the magnificent ways that God uses people and think they're the thing, that they're the amazing one, but they're not. It's God who is amazing. God is just using them. They are but vessels, the Bible will tell us, clay pots, and he can use them any way he chooses to use them. We learn that there's a temporary nature to our lives. There's a temporary nature to our leadership and the people that we follow. We see that. Verse 14, it says, On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua, just like he'd done to Moses. He's changing leaders. And again, he'll do that again. But we know that leaders come and go, but God, in fact, never changes. And so God wants to teach us one final thing. I have a few minutes left here. Before, before they can run in and take possession of the land, right? God just performs this miracle, parts the, the river, they, they cross over. Before they can move into the houses and, and eat from the gardens, etc., he asks them to build this memorial. And he wants it to be a sign, um, a commemoration for the people inside the nation, inside the nation of Israel. So all those people inside need to remember that it was God who brought them out. It wasn't themselves. It wasn't their strength, and that's what we need to understand. Generations will soon pass, and they might not remember that it was God who did this. They might think that it was, in fact, them. It's the people inside the church, if you will, that need to understand the things that God has done. 
for them. And it's so hard for us to remember that sometimes. When I look back on my life and, and the, the, the direction maybe I was going, maybe some of you were going, and you look how God has changed your life, it's so, it's so easy to forget that it was in fact God who did the lifting up and brought us into new places. We sometimes begin to think that it was us. Well, it's because I'm so amazing is why it worked out for me. Right? Or like my mom used to say, when I married Stacy, I became a Christian that same year. My mom, unfortunately, thought Stacy was responsible for all the change in my life. She was, because she's Stacy, I'm just saying. But it was God changing my life. We need to be reminded of that all the time. Inside the church, inside the people of God. What is God doing? And so how can we understand that and share that with other people? But also there's another purpose why God would perform these uh, miraculous things. It's for the people outside the church. And I'll close with this. Look in verse 24. It says all the people's, let me sorry, let me start in 23. I, I didn't write that down right. Let's start in verse 23. It says, for the Lord your God had dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did it to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us as we passed over there. Verse 24, and he did this so that all the peoples of the earth may know this, that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. He did this not just for the people inside the, the church or inside Israel, but for those outside of Israel as well. He wanted other nations to see that God is the true God, that God is the, the mighty and powerful God, that, the, that he's the one that's worthy of worship, not their dead totem gods that we talked about last week, that God wants us to not only commemorate what he's done with these 12 stones, but uses, use it as a way to preach so that others might be converted to know who God is. That seems like a lot to say. I'm just trying to say this. Not only are we trying to raise up the people in the church, but we're constantly telling those outside the church the things that God has done too. One of my favorite things to hear about this church oftentimes is um, I talk to many people who don't attend here, but they always mention every time they drive by on Sunday, it seems like a parade is happening with all the people that's happening. And they go, I don't know what's going on in that church. They always start with, I don't know what's happening in that church, but there's always a lot of people there. Um, the, the HVAC contractor across the street, Air King, Steve Fisher, the owner there, I remember him talking to me. He goes, I come in every Sunday morning to do a little work, and I always watch you people come and go, and it fascinates me. It fascinates me that you guys, you just come in and do all that stuff. And I've watched your church from a side grow and grow and grow. Listen, God is doing stuff not just for us, but for those outside of us too. Oh, say amen to that. That's so true. That is exactly what God is trying to do. On a side note, think of this. Why is it then that the people who have been Christians the longest, right? 24 years here, I don't know, people long. Why aren't we the ones who are shouting and more loud and, and proclaiming the things that God has done for us? Right? Why is it always like the young Christian who comes in like all happy and with a great amount of zeal? God did this last week. Dude, I was eating lunch and a leaf fell on my plate. And I'm like, oh my God, it was the Lord. And like... Like, you know what I'm talking about. Like, we're like, like, everything is the Lord to them. Listen, and we just stand around going, well, it'll pass. They just have a lot of zeal. Give it time, we say. <laughs> just give it some time. They'll settle down. Why? I'll tell you why. It's because we forget. We forget. We forget the things God has done. One of the reasons we hold the Bible so high it is an authority for us in our lives. We believe it to be the words of God, but it's more than that. It, because it reminds us every time we study them, every time we read from it, every time we learn from it, that God has done amazing things in the past. 
It reminds us, it, it causes me to worship. It causes me to remember what he's done for them and what he's done for me and what he wants to do for others as well. Sometimes we, um, we oftentimes ask God to do it again. We even sing a song, I think, do it again. And I have no problem asking God to do it again, but I need you to hear this. It's up to him whether or not he does it again. Whatever miraculous thing he's done for you once, it doesn't necessarily mean he'll do it for you again. In fact, there are some things that are truly just one and done. Let me give you an example. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is never going to die on a cross again for us. There is no need of that. Jesus, the Son of God, has secured salvation for us by, by putting his body, broken body, on a cross and breathing his last for us. When, when God raised him from the dead, he's not going to do that again. <laughs> he is the first of all the resurrection that we too, in faith in him, will be resurrected into eternal life after we die. He's only done that once, but the story needs to be told for generations to come. Some of us wear crosses around our neck to commemorate the things that God has done. Some of us go so far as to ink it into our skin. Either way, but here's the opportunity is when people come and ask, why do you wear that cross? Tell me the story of that tattoo. You get to tell them what God had done for you. We need to be people who are making memorials for God in our lives. I know some people here um, have had a, a pretty rough 2019, you know, Oftentimes, I'm invited into some of the turmoil that's happening in your lives, and for that, I'm very thankful that the Lord will allow me to do that, and if I could bring any comfort, I'm thankful for that as well. But oftentimes, I'm just watching everything take place from a distance, and I'm seeing a lot of the turmoil that many people are going through, whether it's relationship, health issues, problems with children, you, you name it, all these things, and, and I've watched God come and do mighty things in your life. I'm just here to ask you to remember them. I'm just asking you to set something up in your heart that you'll remember so that when people ask about it, you get an opportunity to tell them what God did. I was in an ambulance driving my, with my son to the hospital, for example, and I was praying to the Lord and God showed up and, and his life changed. And, or, or just There are stories after stories like this where God has done things and we become so passe about them. Like, 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 um, here's maybe the, the, the flip side of the coin, that because God is so available to us and always in our lives, we sometimes cause it to be mundane. We think it's mundane that God, well, he's just always part of my life. But hear me, that's, that's amazing that he's a part of our lives like that. That should be amazing to us that God wants to participate in our lives the way that he does. Um, yeah. Yeah, okay, I'm gonna stop. Yay. Okay, let's pray together. Um, I feel done. <laughs> You're like, thank you, Jesus. Lord, thank you for our time again together. Um, I personally have been enjoying this study in Joshua. Um, I'm just blown away the things that I learn every week when I just spend a few minutes uh, reading your word. When I spend a few minutes just considering the, the mighty things that you've done for them, I'm blown away what you've done. And I know that you're immutable, that you do not change, and that you continue to work in the lives of your people even now. So, so we thank you, God. We just start with gratitude and thankfulness, Lord. We, we love what you do for us. 
And so, God, we pray that you would cause us to be a people who are um, ever about telling the testimony of your mighty hand. That you saved many of us when we didn't even know we needed saved. And you've rescued us even when we didn't know we needed rescued. And we have friends and coworkers and family members who, who desperately need to hear that story too. God, would you give us the boldness to, to tell them these things? God, we thank you for this church that we can gather together and worship you and give thanks to you corporately. God, would you lead us into a time of worship now? Would you cause our lips to sing um, truth to you, declare all of your goodness to us? Lord, we thank you, we love you, and we ask that you would be the, the, um, that you would be the one that we worship today. That we, that, we, that we don't just focus on our situation or circumstance, but we look at the one who's over and above all of that. Yes, Lord, we thank you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Renaissance Podcast. I hope that God has spoken to you through this message and that you're encouraged to continue pursuing him. And I want to encourage you to take the next step in your relationship with God, which might be getting involved with a group of other believers. If you'd like to be a part of what's going on here at Renaissance, then please connect with us on social media or online at renaissancedecatur.org.